Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680 CJOB. I want to start with shoplifting because that was actually one of the bright spots in the latest crime stats from Winnipeg Police. Shoplifting is down. John Graham from the Retail Council was on the start this morning with Mackling, McGarry and McNabb talking about the drop in shoplifting. The challenge with statistics is it requires people to report incidents. And right now in retail, uh, we're really seeing no less crime actually happening. What we're seeing is operators choose not to report lower impact incidents as they are seeing limited response from police because they Police, of course, have to prioritize calls and ultimately no real consequences for their efforts through the justice system. So instead, what you're seeing is stores manage these incidents internally, you know, through barring of customers, seeking restitution or most definitely investments in hardening their stores. So it's not that there's less shoplifting. Shop owners are just reporting it to police less. We thought we'd check in with Munther Z, the owner of Food Fair here. Good morning, Munther. Morning, Hal. How are you? Excellent. Thanks a lot for doing this. Would you agree shoplifting has not decreased? It's just you don't bother reporting it. That's uh, definitely true. And you were telling me on the phone this morning when we we chatted, you said probably 9 out of 10 times when we catch somebody shoplifting or we see somebody shoplifting, 9 times out of 10, you really don't even bother involving police. No, we don't. Actually, I mean, sometimes the police take a long time to respond to the call. They're busy with other more violent or more important calls than the shoplifting one. The only time we really call the police is if a weapon's involved or the shoplifter is going crazy, you could say, and we can't handle it, then we call the police. But nine times out of ten, we're just getting our stuff back and out the door they go. And I'm curious, any way, and maybe you can't tell, but... Uh, you know, we're seeing food prices on the rise, inflation's higher, interest rates are higher. It's getting really tough out there for people. Our question of the day at CGOB.com is asking people where they're trying to curb their spending. It's getting harder and harder for many families out there to make ends meet. And sometimes the answer, short term, for some people is crime. How much of it is um, people shoplifting and stealing to, say, uh, you know, fuel a drug habit? compared to it's just really tough out there right now and people that normally wouldn't do it are turning to shoplifting as a way to feed their family? Um, Well, I don't think the normal, everyday household person is out there shoplifting uh, to make ends meet. Uh, The people that are shoplifting today, it's, it's, it's organized crime. They're doing it to get an extra few bucks for whether it be drugs or drinking or whatever extracurricular activities they need. Uh, we are not finding the, the mom and pop that are uh, living at home uh, stealing. Uh, it's the same people over and over. It's almost mm-hmm. it's a revolving circle. Um, we catch the same people sometimes two, three times a month trying to steal. Hmm. And you said uh, organized crimes. Uh, like, is it, um, uh, what do they call the uh, people that steal and then resell it on the street? What, what is that called? The, the word is escaping me. I, uh, I just I call it organized crime myself. To be honest yeah. with you, it, so that's it, what it is, right? It's, it's people stealing stuff and then selling it for a couple of bucks to whatever. 
true. Very true. Whether it be sometimes we catch them in our own parking lot, selling it to customers walking into the store or a customer will walk in and go, you know, there's a guy uh, out back selling a bunch of uh, your meat. So it's, um, I said, it's a challenge. Uh, We deal with it the best way we can. Um, And sometimes it gets, it gets crazy and violent inside the store, just trying to get back our stuff. Yeah, I'll bet. Uh, food prices. Let's talk about rising prices. You're, uh, you and I have talked about this before. You're, the, you're in the middle, right? You're, uh, you're a grocer, and your suppliers are raising prices on you, and then that gets passed on to us. It's, it's difficult for you as a store owner as well. Very true. Um, I believe. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of uh, rising prices, but I believe honestly that. Uh, lack of competition in the wholesale side is a major reason for it. Any product that has a lot of competition, prices are reasonable, uh, not going up. But any industry where it's a lack of competition, prices are up. Mm-hmm. By the way, thanks to a listener who reminded me of the word, a booster, a person who steals and then sells what they steal, is uh, often known as, as a booster. Um, do you feel like prices are, are starting to peak? We heard from Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor, in the news there at 10 o'clock saying prices are likely going to continue to rise, but maybe not at the pace we've seen so far. Do you feel like we're getting to the top end of this, or what's your sense? Uh, well, I hope so. I mean, uh, we keep getting, uh, well, as we get product in, we find out that prices are going up. Some suppliers let us know. Most are just putting the prices up. Product comes in. We know about it when the product arrives. So I hope we're getting to the peak. We've just been informed that there's another increase in eggs happening. Um, I think that's the third one this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I don't know what to say. Like I said, any industry where there's a lack of competition, we're finding prices going up. Yeah, and you know I've talked about that before, and we're hearing from a lot of people uh, on that. And um, and there's there's greed when when we have a situation like this, where we're dealing with really high inflation. Uh, there's a new term, or new to me anyhow, as of about a week ago, called greedflation. And there is definitely greed at the various levels out there. Not all the time, but some of the time. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, there are some. Uh, some of that happening, I believe. Uh, again, I, I see it from my end. As I said, I have a supply. If I have five suppliers for a, a specific product, I find the price to be reasonable. If I only have two, well, sometimes I feel like there's a marriage between the two happening, and prices are going up. Well, we're seeing fewer players, right? the the big the The big guys are getting bigger by merging, and and as you said, getting together, and uh, that that's not good for the average person, and certainly not good good for you as an independent grocer. Hey, Munther, thanks a lot for this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Have a great day, Munther. You bet. Munther Zeed is the owner of Food Fair. I got into the conversation with Munther by uh, playing for you a clip from the start this morning. John Graham at the Retail Council hears more from him on this. Full respect for the work of the police uh, who do have to prioritize uh, issues. But I think what we're seeing is a shift towards expectations of retailers to respond immediately uh, to uh, issues where there's safety, there's uh, assault and threat to customers and staff. And these are most definitely on the rise. What we're seeing is uh, uh, the involved, uh, those incidents that involve violence, whether accompanied by theft or vandalism or standalone or on a standalone basis, really on the rise. And you're seeing an increase of 
noxious substances, blades and blunted weapons and firearms and you know, many of these incidents being gang related and tied to the drug uh, uh, industry. And so these are prolific, they're violent, and these are the ones we most definitely want quick police response. And most of the time we're getting it. John Graham at the Retail Council, and he says, and he's absolutely right when he says it, crime is complex. The Manitoba Retail Crime Task Force that formed really has been working away on strategies to target those more prolific, more violent. And at the same time, some really neat early stage work on looking at how you can uh, uh, look at alternative measures for those that are dealing with uh, drug addictions, mental health, the homelessness, and uh, uh, poverty. And so lots of thoughts going on there, uh, for sure, and sort of that sensitivity to focus on safety rather than, um, you know, Billy and the chocolate bar. Uh, I so- would. I just want to add, though, that I think when we talk about statistics uh, in uh, Manitoba and what just came out, uh, and as I said at the top, it's, we're not seeing all of the incidents reported because of the complexity sometimes and the time uh, that it takes and the outcomes that that uh, might result in from them. And so we're working as a task force as well as simplifying ways that can be reported. Uh, at the same time, we're doing a study this fall with the University of Manitoba to look at what percentage of uh, statistics or what percent of incidents aren't being reported because anecdotally what we're hearing is 50 to 70 percent of all incidents happening in retail stores right now simply aren't being reported and we need those to show up in statistics uh, and these reports so that we can uh, better respond. John Graham, Retail Council, he says 50 to 60 percent not being reported monthers eat at food fair telling us nine times out of ten they just don't bother involving police unless it's something that they can't deal with themselves. Jason Kindrichart joins us now, Canada Research Chair, Assistant Professor, Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Manitoba. Jason, it's been a while. Good morning. Good morning, Hal. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. So we've been waiting a long time for this, um, and I'm sure now the reality is sinking in for parents. What do I do with my child under five? Well, you've got a child under five. Your best advice would be? Get the vaccine yeah. in these preschoolers and, and toddlers, eh? Yeah, there's a couple of aspects to this, right? I mean, obviously, you know, we, we've been living in this reality with a three-and-a-half-year-old for, you know, for, for a few years now of uh, we, we couldn't get her vaccinated. So what, what do we do? And, and it was not only a question of her health, but also the, the health of, of those around us that, that we knew were in, in higher-risk um, so we, you know, we've had to take those extra precautions, and certainly the last few months, that's been more difficult as as we've seen. Obviously, a lot of the the preventative measures uh, kind of move away, and, and more normalcy uh, kind of seep back into to our lives. Um, this for us, you know, we I think we, we take it with a grain of salt, right? We have to appreciate. Much like we, you know, we were in this position in in late 2020, the vaccines um, certainly are, are are an added component in the fight against COVID, um, but it's not like. You know, tomorrow, once all the kids get vaccinated, COVID is just going to end. Um, there, there is still going to be, uh, uh, you know, an issue with us getting transmission under control. There's still a big issue with vaccine equity, still a big issue with new variants that may arise. But, you know, the, the added advantage of the vaccination is that 
by the way, now I can start to, uh, you know, breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief in it, at, at least knowing that my child is protected from those more severe consequences of disease. And by the way, they may also have uh, lower rates of, of symptoms that may, uh, you know, uh, preclude them from transmitting the virus if they happen to get a breakthrough infection. Mm-hmm. Some moms and dads are going to go, yay, finally, and then others are going to go, oh boy, this is a tough decision. Because often, you know, even for people I think that went out and, and got the vaccine and the booster and, you know, maybe even their, their second booster, but when it comes to your kids, you feel a responsibility to do the right thing. So ease those concerns for parents that are listening right now that, that have a kid under five and and they're thinking what am i going to do yeah there's a few things to look at with this right i mean i listen we, we live in, in a reality with these vaccines that, that we know there there have been you know adverse events that that have been reported um certainly we we've, we've seen uh certainly the stoppage of some of the vaccination programs at times to try and, and better understand what was happening what was the the causal uh you know the, the causal instance uh, underlying that I, I think for parents you know one of the things we need to appreciate is that We've just seen how long this approval has taken as compared to the, the approvals for some of the other age groups. That's not because people have better things to do. is because they are absolutely scrutinizing the data uh, to the nth degree to understand the benefits versus any of the risks that are associated with this. The other aspect we have to appreciate with all of this is that certainly with you know BA5 and, and you know, whatever other new variants we're, we're potentially dealing with, um, we've seen increasing transmissibility uh, again and again and again. And what that means is that the people that are not protected from vac- uh, vac- or not uh, protected by vaccination are going to have a greater likelihood of being exposed, um, certainly over, over multiple periods of time. And that increases the risk that, that they may end up with symptomatic disease. And of course, yes, kids, less severe disease from what we've seen, you know, as compared to other age groups, but that doesn't mean that there is no risk of severe disease. So, you know, trying to look at that and say, okay, well, is my kid going to be the, one of the, the unfortunate few that, that ends up with severe disease? We can't do that or make those assessments just looking at a child. Um, so therefore, you know, from my perspective, having them protected is, is still our, our, best, uh, our best opportunity. You mentioned new variants. Here's what strikes me, and it's been a while since we've talked, so uh, let me ask you a couple of questions that I've been thinking about since the last time we talked, Jason. When it comes to these new variants, it seems to me that we're seeing variants that are more transmissible, but yet we're not seeing variants, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we're not seeing variants that are any more deadly or make people more sick. Is, is that surprising? No, not really. And listen, I will be upfront and say, you know, the, the last, I, I think, two months, I've been basically completely immersed in monkeypox um, and, and trying to deal with, with that global outbreak now. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're very right. So we, and we have to gain appreciate part of this. Um, we have to understand that there is immunity in the population, whether it's through infection or vaccination. That's on a global uh, global standpoint. So some of some of the reduction in, in virulence or severity that we may see can be uh, akin to some of that that immunity in the population. But we haven't seen the virus take on new traits that have made it more deadly. Yes, transmissibility seems to still be increasing. We don't know where that upper level is going to be, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, but, but we have to appreciate that um, we don't necessarily need to see an increase in, in virulence for this to continue to be deadly. 
True. If it's still more becoming more and more transmissible, even if it drops off in severity, if you're infecting more people, you see more impact on on health, and then obviously more more stress on healthcare systems. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. You mentioned monkeypox, so let me ask you about monkeypox. Uh, I mean, this is what you do for a living, so obviously this is a, a big focus for you. But I think more and more people are paying attention to monkeypox. Is is this? the next one that we really need to worry about maybe not to the level of covid19 but give us the latest on on monkeypox well i listen i i i have a very specific viewpoint on this and and that is we should have been worried about this for 50 plus years because 1970 was our first cases and by the way we've seen increasing incidents uh certainly within west and central africa uh increasing numbers of outbreaks and and of course we have decreasing numbers of people in the population uh, that, that were vaccinated uh, for smallpox, because that obviously ended in Canada in 1972 and in 77 in most other countries. So um, we've been you know, kind of raising the alarms for, for a few decades now, saying we've got to focus on this. We've seen an outbreak in 2003 in the U.S. This has always been a risk. Now we're facing the reality of monkeypox is now beyond the endemic regions of the world. Um, we've got to get it contained. We don't know, uh, certainly... Um, you know, how many additional species this virus can move into. It certainly is promiscuous in, in that sense. Um, and, and we also know that there can be severe consequences, at least for, for other flavors of monkeypox that we've seen uh, uh, when, it, when it gets into specific populations. But I will caution and say this. We also need to appreciate we have to get it contained globally, but we absolutely need to get it contained in the endemic regions and not turn a blind eye to, to those areas of the world uh, like, like we've been doing for, for so many decades with this virus specifically. Well, we'll keep an eye on monkeypox. And uh, the numbers are just coming in for last week, COVID-19 numbers. These are new numbers for Manitoba. Let me just rattle a few off here, and then I'll ask you one final question. So last week, 229 laboratory-confirmed COVID cases reported in Manitoba. That's an increase from 125 the previous week. Volume of lab tests increased to on average, 269 people tested for COVID per day compared to 244 in the previous week. And the positivity rate of lab tests was 14.8%, an increase from 11.5% in the previous week. Severe outcomes associated with COVID-19 infection increased compared to the previous week. There were 59 hospital admissions last week, including seven in ICU and two deaths. Um, a lot of numbers there, and you'll hear us break those down as we go along here today. I just wanted to share them uh, as we as we get them here. Where where are we at with COVID? Uh, you know, the weather, it's sunny and hot. Boy, it's going to be humid this weekend. But there's a lot of talk of, uh, you know, um, an increase come fall when we're all indoors more and, and closer. And in some other countries, some other jurisdictions, we're seeing increases in cases now with these new variants. I mean, this is far from over and we often don't talk about it as much anymore but it's it's far from over no it, it, you know it, it certainly is far from over right uh, we, we've got to be appreciative that the new variants uh, will put increased stress on uh, certainly on uh, on transmission rates in different areas of the world um, we, we have a more protected population that's increasingly important we know that there is uh, you know third and fourth uh, you know, doses that, that are available for people. We know now that kids will be able to get uh, vaccinated uh, for those under the age of five. I, this is still our greatest opportunity to be able to get protection of the population. We may not be able to get transmission completely contained. I would argue we're not going to get to that point with, with this virus. Um, 
but we can certainly uh, reduce the impacts on, on our health. Jason, appreciate your time. Thanks, Hal. Jason Kindrichuk joining us from the University of Manitoba, a virologist that we have leaned on heavily uh, during the pandemic. Thank you for sticking around, and if you're just joining us, because you know Carolyn Klassen's coming up, as I know many of you do, you can't miss Carolyn. Um, thank you and welcome. And uh, Carolyn, good morning. Good morning, Hal. How are you? I'm good. Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling. By the way, uh, it's connexuscounseling.ca or carolynclassen.com, carolynclassen.com, where you can sign up for uh, Carolyn's newsletter. I'm sort of all, including your newsletter, and you've got great social media posts as well, I'm sort of all over the place looking for things to talk about, and I follow Troy Westwood, former bomber, of course, and um, he uh, shared a video of a gentleman by the name of Glenn Damon. He's uh, uh, the uh, CEO at Advisor Spark, and he, he had some comments on happiness. They aren't very long. I want to play them, and, and then we'll talk about it. Happiness and worrying. You know, that whole thing about worry, and, and, and you know, here's the thing. Don't let yesterday's struggle or strife take up any space in today's system, in today's schedule. Don't. Reversely, I don't want you to let worry take up any space today that you're worried about happening tomorrow. So yesterday's struggle and strife have no business today. Neither does worry about things that may come along. And, and I think of Corey Tenboom. And if you haven't seen Corey's stuff, Google it. Some great quotes. This is what she said. She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength very powerful i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this carolyn because i sort of i can look at it both ways uh because i tend to be a worry get it from my mom i got it from my mom i i tend to be a bit of a a worrier and moms often worry but then i agree when he says don't don't stress about it it's what's going to happen is going to happen and deal with it when it happens do you agree with him or am i right that there's sort of two ways to look at this well Here's the thing. Uh, he is right where worrying about yesterday or tomorrow does rob today of its strength. But the whole idea of so just don't do it. I think that without intending his message that way, it can feel really shaming for people of if it was just as simple as saying stop it, they would. Um, and it's not that easy. And so often figuring out how to manage anxiety, how to be aware of it and how to deal with it in a healthy way is it's it's not at all as simple as saying stop it it's much more something that you have to work on and figure out and navigate because uh it's we we can't control our feelings we have to uh we have once we are able to be aware of them we can make decisions about them but the anxiety is going to be there whether we ask it to be or not it just is there and then we get to make choices about it and so i'm worried that glenn's message as a lot of people listen to it say oh i'm doing it wrong because i can't mm. just you know make a choice to not let it take up space yeah and everybody's different right um yeah. so people handle it differently depending on their personality uh, you know the way they were raised i mean i'm sure there are many factors that influence how we deal with worrying about things yes and i i look at worry like i look at pretty much any other emotion in that um our bodies feel our feeling feelings because they are information 
And sometimes it's really helpful to listen to that worry and to figure out what it has to say to us so that we can be proactive, right? If you're worrying about paying your rent, then maybe today that will help you take an extra shift in so that you can better be able to make sure that you're ready for the end of the month. So there's sometimes where you want to listen to that worry and take action on it so that you can let it go rather than just ignoring it, which then means at the end of the month, you might not have enough to be able to pay the rent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we worry about, we're talking a lot about it today, Uh, inflation, higher interest rates. Will we see a recession? How might that impact not just the province, but all of us as individuals and and families? Our question of the day at CGOB.com is asking people, where are you trying to curb spending? So we worry about that. We we have fear about crime. We've talked a lot about crime in our city. It seems more random. Violent crime seems more random now than than ever before. How do we how do we deal with that? Uh, the cost of stuff and and violent crime and worrying about being a victim of it. Well, I think you're even just illustrating my point. Right? Is as people are worrying about. Uh, finances, they're thinking about where can I cut costs in a proactive way to be able to better manage finances. Our things are getting absolutely tougher. And as people are worrying about crime, we're having public dialogue. And I hear you talking to the experts and inviting ideas and having discourse about how do we address this so that we can figure out how to reduce crime and make our streets safer. And so I think we are all aware. And and, and I'm going to say that We've had so much to worry about these last years with uh, the pandemic, with the divisiveness around vaccines and the political discourse around pandemic and um, vaccines and convoys. We had the war in Ukraine. We have the situation in the United States where there's a lot of uncertainty around elections and so forth. There's so much that kind of gets our worry and our fear amped up that I think our fear isn't sort of at its, our baseline is higher than what it used to be. And so then when there's something that goes on and our needle goes up, it's not going up from lower, it's going up from higher than what, and then our, we feel even more. And so I think we have to be really compassionate to ourselves to recognize that there has been so much in our culture and in our world that has us be fearful. And that's not even considering the individual things that people in their lives are worried about their kids or, you know, all the things that people worry about um, generally, personally, that there's so much that I think we have to be kind to ourselves and recognize this is a hard time. Look at what we can control and look at sort of normalizing, being compassionate towards ourselves that this is a hard time. A lot of people answering our question of the day at cgob.com are, are saying they're curbing travel as a way uh, to save money and deal with higher prices for everything, food and, and gas, obviously, the ones that, you know, come to mind right away. I've quoted this survey a couple times uh, on my shows here, but one in three, according to this survey, one in three haven't reconnected with extended family in four years because of the pandemic. And so now they want to travel. They can travel to see that family they haven't seen in too long. And maybe they can't afford to make the trip now. Yes, or else they they don't have enough in them fortitude to be able to handle the uh, chaos that we find in today's airports. Uh, Traveling is tricky and it's costly these days. And the cost of that is, is that people that are important to us because they're where we come from, we don't get to see them. And I do think there's value in finding ways of connecting meaningfully with family. Last week, we had family in from out of town. We spent some time at the lake with them. And then we came back into the city and spent time with more family. And, 
you know, we even just, there's watermelon and rollkuchen, something from my culture. I make it once a year when family's around, and it kind of reminds us of who we are and where we came from, and it takes us back to what's important, what our roots are, and it just feels good to be together. And so my heart hurts to think that people aren't able to be with their people um, as we need to be every so often. Every once in a while, I'll see a list, you know, I'm into lists, or I'll read an article and I'll go, well, that's, yeah, there's some good advice there, but I know Carolyn will always have something great to add to it. So I'll just, uh, the headline here is, uh, instead of lashing out psychology-backed anger tips, and so here's some of their advice, and then I want to hear yours. First, start with self-compassion and kindness for yourself. List the consequences of angry behaviors and think long-term if you want to be an angry person. Next, deal with the underlying deeper issue like fear, hunger, or the hurt of rejection. Instead of yelling or throwing something, consider leaving the situation and enjoying nature or a breathing exercise. Performing acts of kindness can also help calm angry feelings. Before I let you weigh in, it kind of goes back to what we were saying about worrying, right? It's it's great to say it, uh, but it, it, the practice of putting it in place and, and not being, in this case, angry is, is much more difficult sometimes. Yes. Um, if any of your listeners are interested, if you Google Connexus Counseling Anger Iceberg, um, you'll have a chance to see how often anger is a secondary emotion to something that's primary. And so as you are able to say, what am I angry about and what's underneath that anger, what is creating that anger, it often then leads to being able to discover strategies to under to address that underlying concern, like if you're hangry that you have a snack, or if you're angry at your child, it's because you're really scared about the decisions they're making, that then you can look after the fear or the hunger um, and then the need for the anger dis- dissipates. And so I think what, she, what all of your strategies are talking about is noticing your anger, which often comes up so quickly that we can't yeah. control it, to, to sort of pull back and say, let me take a deep breath, let me slow down, and let me look at that. And so let me figure out how I can transform that anger so that I don't transmit it. Why am I really feeling angry? You're right. There's often another reason for that emotion of anger that, uh, as you said, comes up very quickly. Anger Iceberg connects this counseling. Google it, uh, as Carolyn said. Carolyn, thanks a lot for this. Enjoy your week, and we'll talk next Thursday. Take care. All right, Carolyn Klassen, Connexus Counseling, ConnexusCounseling.ca, or, of course, CarolynKlassen.com, where you can sign up for Carolyn's newsletter, and she often includes great stuff like, for example, uh, the anger iceberg that she talks about there.